took that spiritual feeling, that confirmation from the Holy Ghost, that's one piece of information. Don't take it as a sure thing. Don't take it as this is now determining my life. Take it as an important piece of information. But you've also got 16 other pieces of information. And mm -hmm. you as an adult thinker using logic, using everything you've ever learned, take all of that into account. You still might make a mistake. You still sure. might end in a marriage that doesn't make sense. But if you take that spiritual confirmation as the be all and all, as the you know, summum bonum, as, as making all your decisions for you, you end up in these kinds of situations where it doesn't work. And now your whole faith is destroyed. Now your relationship with God, your whole feeling is gone. If you treat it as as important information that, you know, now that to me, that's an adult way to deal with life. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall, and settling into this, I'm excited to visit with Christian Kimball. Uh, Going to get to know all about him, obviously, and then uh, talk about living on the inside of the edge. I was first uh, made aware of this book uh, by a guy who helps out with The Cultural Hall. His name is Matthew Jalalian, and he said he went to uh, one of Christian's uh, book events, as this book is just brand new out. And he said, hey, listen, this would make an amazing interview for the cultural hall. So I said to Christian, hey, come drop me off a book at my house. And if you do that, we'll we'll have a chat. He brought a book. He even signed the book. And now the chat begins. Thanks for being here, Chris. Thank you. It's good to meet you. It was good to meet you in person. I don't always get to do that. You know, I, I very actually rarely meet the people that I interview in person. And so the fact that uh, we got to do that before we got to do this conversation, an honor to me. Uh, before we get into what living on the inside of the edge is, I think that's kind of a, a curious topic uh, for a lot of people within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I would love to get to know you a little bit. Uh, as we were talking right before we turned on uh, the mics to record, we talked a little bit about uh, some some cancer in the past. Maybe we start there. Is that sort of top of mind? Well, that's that's fine. Um, as 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 I mentioned there, I tried in, in in the introduction to the book to lay out a few reasons about who I am, and and that's one of them. So it's not. I mean, I've kind of exposed myself quite a bit in this book. Um, yeah, back in 2007, I was diagnosed with a cancer that a rare cancer that uh, invades the abdomen, and I ended up with major surgery and chemotherapy and uh, pretty major stuff that I that uh, changed my life. In effect, uh, like those kinds of things do. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I actually expected that I would not survive the operating table. Um, really, that was. That was unreasonable given the statistics, but it was what was in my head. So mm. I went through, uh, you know, I'm done. Let's check in with what I've accomplished in life. And and um, that was a that was thought provoking. Put it that way. So I mean, I'm delighted to be alive, but I'm yes. but I'm uh, like a like a second life <laughs> because you go through those kinds of thoughts. G give me an idea of some things that have changed uh, since that time, because I I've heard that reflected from other people that like it, it is like a second lease on, on life when you're facing down what you whether it's whether it's founded or not, you're facing down this idea of death. And and then you're like, oh, nope, I got a gimme. I get a mulligan. Let's do this again. Like, what have you done differently or how do you look at things differently than before? Well, it may be it may be different if you were. 30 when you went through this kind of thing, but I was in my mid fifties and I mm -hmm. was thinking, uh, so I checked in with my job and career with my children who are adults and have their own children with, uh, sort of where, where is life and, and went through a process of thinking, I, I don't want to be gone. I don't want this, but I, but I, in effect, I've, I've had life. I mean, I can check off. This is not terrible. And so you wake up afterward, wake up after the all the operations, and then you're in the process of recovery, which is awful. But um, I got to a very serious kind of deep um, one day at a time kind of um, reflective life that it, it, this is all bonus time. I mean, sure, I have. I mean, I sit down and write a book and that takes <laughs> years. I do other things I plan ahead, but I'm but I'm it's all bonus. It's all extra. And so the idea that I'm 
uh, trying to get somewhere, trying to accomplish something, I, uh, it, it, it takes a whole different aspect. And, and I really, um, some days are crummy, but I, but most, most, most days are just, you know, I got the, I got a bonus day. This is one more bonus day and let's, let's, let's enjoy and, 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 and take this one day at a time. That's, that's the, probably the biggest single, uh, feeling mm-hmm. about it. I mean, you also end up with, um, I, I, we're going on and on. I'll, no, I'll, no, you're I'll fine. I'm, I'm, I'm taking a, the adventure with you. Let's do it. Yeah. There's a, there's a kind of new world that's happening in, 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 in medicine, in effect, in the 21st century. There's a, there's a whole cadre of cancer survivors. I mean, in the, in the 20th century, if I had been diagnosed with what I had in the 20th century, I would be dead. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody in this category lasted, you know, five years or less. Wow. Uh, but now I'm 15 years beyond and, um, and and there are, as we were talking, there are serious consequences of the kind of treatment that keeps you, you know, that keeps you alive. And so, um, it's it's new normal. It's different. And uh, I'm, and that's great. But in fact, medicine doesn't know very much about that. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a it's a new field of study. What I got from the doctors was, um, we pretty much know what the next year will be like as you recover. Uh-huh. But beyond that first year after chemo after surgery um we don't know i mean you're going to be a all you cancer survivors will be kind of one of a kind experiments on what what life after is like yeah they kind of wish you they say good luck and let us know how it is we would love to to study and to find out let me ask you did did any elements of your faith change um interesting uh yes in the sense that and I, I, I'll hesitate to say this, but, uh, you know, you ask. Um, I really crystallize that I don't believe in an afterlife, that I don't have that confidence or belief. And so my my faith, my sense of what God is about, what mm-hmm. religion is about, boy, really came down to making Zion on earth, making making this earth, this life, this people and society a you know a garden a zion a a place and with because i because i realized i don't really have a belief in an afterlife i don't pay attention to that it isn't you know all the things that are you know this will work out in heaven or do this now so you get a reward later um that kind of washed away and i all my focus has become making this life good yeah i mean not not this life like my life like you know like the old wine women and song diana (laughs) dionysus but life for people for us for society um a good good in this life give people a a little bit of context as to what your interaction with the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints is if you are a member a convert you know all that kind of stuff people love to know that because they like to know okay well where's this guy coming from where do i align with this guy what is this guy that's a actually that's really important for this book because and um because i'm an all-in multi-generation uh you know grandfather was president of the church Spencer W. Kimball. I wondered um, if there was the connection. I never like to assume the heritage, yes. but that was your grandfather. That was my grandfather. I mean, they had four children. I'm the oldest son of the youngest son okay. of, the, of Spencer W. Kimball. Uh, there are lots of cousins, and so there. Uh-huh. It, you know, it's not a it's not a unique category. It's a uh-huh. it's a one of thirty category. But I but I'm one of those, or thirty or forty. I forget the number. Um, and uh and we're we are by the way my cousins and i are very different among ourselves it's not like there's a stamp like that's a spencer kimball grandson and sure. he's all this. um that, that should be clear because some of my cousins may be appalled by what i'm doing here and some are celebrating <laughs> <laughs> but uh all in uh multi-generation on both sides um grew up 
I grew up in Wisconsin, which might be relevant, and not in the not in the Intermountain West. Uh, yeah, that's a in, different experience with your engagement with the church, for sure. Those that grow up along the Jello Belt and those who aren't. Yes, I think that is different. Although, um, because my father was in a bishopric or a stake presidency my whole life, um, he, because my grandfather was an apostle from the time from before I was born, I, it's a you're in that I grew up out in the what we call the mission field right in Wisconsin but um but connected in in important ways so uh and I you know check every box went on a mission married in the temple um where'd you serve all the callings sort of sort of fast track leadership elders quorum president etc cetera, etc cetera, up to being a bishop in the mid 1990s and then and then the story changes so that's 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 where we're going i guess yeah yeah go ahead uh so uh, a couple questions uh just a real quick aside where did you serve your mission in south korea um, okay it was south korea it was the korean mission when i went it was split while i was there so for the korean missionaries whom who keep coming back and keep connecting with me it was i was in the Pusan mission the south half after in my second year uh and then uh another question that i have sort of around the the last name of things because i i wonder is kimball within the church do you feel like recognizable enough that when you say christian kimball that people go hmm and kind of have the question around the last name like i've known a few mcconkeys uh hinkley i think is maybe a little bit more but is kimball do you think in line with some of those other names where people automatically the uh, automatically assume the relation to Spencer W. Interesting. I don't know. I think, um, I think, I think many do, um, and I get those kinds of questions. On the other hand, Keeper C. Kimball had so many wives and so many children and so many sons. Um, now, when I go into town, it's to Heber City, Utah, and mm -hmm. I in the in the shops in the you know in the grocery store when i when i use my name i don't think anybody makes the connection that heber comes from heber c kimball i just think uh and there's there's so so yes and no i mean from the from my family side of things um my great grandfather was sent to arizona to help colonize to build up arizona mm -hmm. and so that we are outsiders to the to the Utah Salt Lake City Mormon world. I mean, we were we were sent away into <laughs> what was almost thought of as exile. Yeah, and, it uh, still and is. To be come, fair, come back into the. I mean, Spencer Kimball was the you know for uh, for many many years. All of the all of the church leaders were. Right in the Salt Lake Valley, and uh, and Spencer Kimball was you know one of the I think he was the first in the 20th century to be called out of elsewhere, mm -hmm. uh, called up from Arizona. So uh, one other question that I guess uh, I would like to ask around that, just because I'm curious, do you have a, a particular memory when you think about your grandpa uh, that that calls to your mind when you think, oh yeah, that was my grandpa that as a grandpa, maybe not so much as the prophet of the church. Um, I, I have several, I guess one, um, but, uh, but I'll tell you too, one, one is just sitting with, I mean, one is feeling resentful that the church took him away. I mean, that, that his life was called into church service all the way until he died. And, mm -hmm. and I, I would, I resented that actually. Um, I, I mean, I didn't think about it till later that it was a burden, um, but I, I, you know, I remember sitting at his table on a Sunday night when he would have uh, bread and milk. Um, but uh, we got bread and milk plain, and he got bread and milk with strawberry jam in it. Uh, <laughs> well, the uh, strawberry jam is for the adults, Christian. You don't. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, all the sweets, whether it's honey or jam. I also remember, and this is a, this is, you know, this may be a church-related context, but I, I happened to be in his home in 1974, around the time of General Conference, spring 74, which would be the first general, first conference 
when he was the president of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't remember why I was there, but I happened to be there. You know, it's just staying in the bedroom room where the where the cousins did. And uh, he he came out of his study late in the evening after um, this was a few days before conference. And he said, this is hard. This is I'm working on what I'm going to say. And I've given talks for I've given talks. I've been in general conference for decades, Mm -hmm. but this is the first time they will actually listen to me. (laughs) Wow. Wow. And then was that, so I guess just following up on that, was there things, obviously that's the first talk that he gave that conference. Were there, were there notable things that were distinctly different from that talk to previous talks or I've, I've never compared. I mean, there were a few talks that I, um, that I note or that I go back to, but I didn't ever make that comparison or, or, uh, so I don't know the answer. Yeah, um, I'm sure, and- I'm sure there are people who, who study the talks and, and would, uh, I, I know yeah, he they, thought about it differently. That's all. Yeah. They would, they would quickly be able to tell you, yes, his use of the words, this, and in this many times in this conference, he used to say this. And now he says it because that's what some people do as they study those things. Um, as we look towards talking about, um, some some of the points about living on the inside of the edge. I just want to queue up this conversation. Then we'll take a quick break and come back in the second block. Uh, but the question is: is what what edge? What are we talking about? Um, I, I try. I I do want to be a little loose about that because I I think that people spend way too much time defining others, mm-hmm. and I I think it's uh, ultimately is a self definition. Okay. That is, um, but the sense is the sense of edge is um, progressive, heterodox, uh, questioning, uh, doubting. It's it's it is the idea or the feeling that um, that maybe I want to leave, or maybe I am not um, all in, or maybe I'm uh, pushing the edge that I'm uh, feel. Sometimes at church, like an outsider, or that I'm stifling myself because if I spoke up what I really think, I would be shunned or I would be excluded. Uh, any any of those kinds of feelings, any of those kinds of thoughts, um, I usually, for myself, I usually capsulize it as um, as a feeling that there are times when the church is an antagonist instead of just a, a comfortable home that I'm happy with it. And, and that's for me, the mm-hmm. sense, but I think people come at it a lot of different ways. Uh, but, um, you know, that feeling that you're, that you're on the outside or you're headed to the outside or, uh, at an extreme that you're one step out and, uh, and we'll Always. get into it and we'll get into it because it is a survival guide as the front of the book notes. So uh, we're going to get some survival guide uh, kind of tips, some different ways of being able to engage. Uh, Christian has prepared these to kind of talk around and, and I'm excited to be able to get into this. I should say very clearly that the uh, opinions that are going to be expressed are Christians. That way you feel like you don't have to kind of, you know, mince words or walk lines or anything like that. As we get into that, we know that it, it's kind of your engagement and your experience. So feel free to kind of free flow as far as that goes. Let's take a quick break. When we come back in the second block, we'll get right into it. BestDJinUtah.com. It's been a while since we've had a new one of these, and I apologize for that. It's because I've been so busy DJing events all over the country. Uh, but especially here in Utah, been able to do some great, uh, you know, weddings. I've done a, a prom or two for different listeners of the cultural hall. I love it when you uh, reach out to me at bestdjinutah.com, or uh, you can find the phone number online as well. I would love it if you say, hey, I heard about you on the cultural hall, because maybe, just maybe, I give a cultural hall discount. Uh, all sorts of events. It doesn't have to be a, a wedding. It could be a community event. Maybe it's a ward or youth activity. I'm doing one of those this summer. In fact, just lock the deal down on that. Uh, whatever it may be, if you need music to accompany your event or you just need a great MC, I would love to be able to help you out. You're simply going to need to go to bestdjinutah.com. <laughs> 
Hi friends, Dan the Laptop Man here from PC Laptops. You can get a brand new PC Laptops desktop and they start at only $29 a month and it comes with a lifetime warranty. Just check us out at PCLaptops.com. That's PCLaptops.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, I encourage you to become a Patreon Saint. Why don't you? You've thought about it. You've been a fence sitter. Now become a Patreon Saint. Go to Patreon.com forward slash The Cultural Hall. We call it putting your money where your ears are at. Can you think of a greater service that your money could do than to go to the cultural hall to continue to produce episodes like this? It's simple. It's easy. Patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. You get to be a part of the secret but not sacred Facebook group where all the Patreon saints are hanging out. We would love to have you there. You can do a year long pledge or just go month to month. Please. It helps us out. I'm not going to beg, but you should hear a little bit of begging patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. So Christian, uh, you sent this over to me and I really like this. It's simple. It's direct. It's sort of four points uh, about uh, living on the inside of the edge. And I hope that we can take the the time to really get into them, what you mean by them, um, kind of the, the, the background around them, and then maybe how we can facilitate these different points uh, in, in our worship or in our engagement with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The first one is grow up. <laughs> and uh, I like that. It's right. It's direct. Tell me what you mean by grow up. There's a background to the to the phrase grow up, which almost can offend people. And I think it took a thousand words or more to try to explain that so it wasn't offensive. Mm-hmm. Um, that the background is that very often in conversations about the church, about being on the edge, about difficulties with the church, uh, we get a lot of criticism. If the church would only, if you know, they're doing this to me. Uh, if the if the people at church would just stop, there are all kinds of and and um, and for this book, I really took the position that we, whatever that is that you would like to change, it's not going to change. It's not going to change in my lifetime. It's not going to change fast enough to make a difference. And so mm-hmm. that if if you are a person, I am such a person it, on the edge of the church, however you define that for yourself, but you want to be looking in, you want to be hanging on the inside and participating in some way. One of the things you don't get is that the church changes to your liking, that you, um, that the people or the culture fixes itself or, and so since I start with the idea that that's not gonna change, that's not gonna fix, um we have to grow up we i mean you have to start with yourself and basically um take maybe fix yourself maybe that's a little bit strong mm-hmm. but um take uh take an adult to a, really that's the end of the of the grow up is approach the church on an adult to adult level i mean if you're going to have a conversation with your bishop do that as an adult not as a child talking so the the model that I grew up with, um, and that I tried to get out of when I was a bishop unsuccessfully, is is that you're, you know, when you go talk to the bishop, you're a kid talking to your dad, asking for advice, asking for counsel, asking to be told what you did wrong or what mm-hmm. you did right, and mm-hmm. that um, that's, in my opinion, that's not survivable. I mean, if you get to a a, a not not completely happy relationship with the church. And then you go talk to your, you know, father figure who's going to tell you what's wrong. Um, That feels so bad that people leave. I mean, people walk away or they, or they just crunch themselves back into this child model and say, okay, just tell me what to do. And I just won't think about it anymore. And I think neither of those is a good place to live. Um, So, the 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 approach is since they're not going to change, I have to take the step forward, which is to become an adult to and to and to, and that's to grow up. How, how do you recommend we do that? I mean, it, it, you're right in that if you're just like grow up, come on. I mean, that sounds a, a little bit harsh, but for those that are hearing this and go, okay, yeah, I mean, 
what he's saying makes sense. I certainly feel kind of, you know, the way that he's expressing maybe a little infantile as I go to speak with my bishop or whatever that thing would be. Is it is it the words? Is it the way that we view the church? Is it our the way that we view that relationship with like a bishop or a stake president? What do you think are are maybe the first steps or just a step that we can do towards that? You mentioned as a bishop that you tried to change that and sort of failed. Not on, you know, not because of you or anything that you did or didn't do, but it didn't work that way. So, what can we as individuals do to take steps towards that? Um, at, at one level, at one sense, it's the same kind of work that is growing up in a family. I mean, the 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 I I use there's several models you could use, but I use the model of of growing up in a family where the the goal ultimately is to be an an adult in the family uh, to grow up, but but to still be connected, to still have, you know, conversations with your siblings, with your parents. But as as an adult, I mean, there are models of, of you know, psychological, um, personal development that have to do with um, with dealing with both feelings and and logic that have to do with integrating your sense of self so that your what you understand about yourself is reasonably aligned with reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are all uh, in the in line with they're the same kinds of things that you do as a as a teenager growing up. But I but I actually think with respect to the church, with respect to your relationship with your bishop or with the church, um, the first and the biggest point is to even realize that it's possible that it's something to think about uh, that that church. I mean that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints does this, but I. Every church I know about does this. It promotes a a parent-child relationship. It poses the church as parent and the members as child, and that's the way the conversations work. And if I believe, if you think, and I and I experience, if you think about most of the talks you hear at church, they're they're pitched kind of to a um, middle school level, and part mm. of that's about translation. Part of that's just the way churches work. I mean, they're they're pitched at that level and just recognizing that's what's happening, just recognizing it, just opening up in your mind the possibility even that you could be an adult, that you could, instead of taking orders, that you could listen and say, oh, that's interesting. Well, maybe I agree here and maybe I don't agree there. And let's talk, think about it further or let's have a further conversation. I mean, if you if you sit in general conference and you hear every word as a command mm-hmm. and you're just taking it in as a command, I mean, you're you're being a child in that relationship. If sure. you sit in general conference and you hear it as, well, that's interesting and that's his point of view and I'll think about it. I mean, I'll think about it means you're paying attention, Yeah. but you're paying attention like an adult, taking it in, considering, thinking about it. But we don't even get told that's possible at church. And I, so my, my first point is, yeah, that's possible. I mean, just to say, you know, break open this way of living. And, and, and as I, when I, when I'm talking about that, (laughs) I like, I, I, I do end the list on maybe I'll take a nap, which is supposed to be, (laughs) which is supposed to be a little chuckle. It's Uh supposed to, you know, be a little light touch in the in the in the book, but it also is meant to say, and sometimes I don't even have to pay attention. Sometimes I can just, you know, I don't have to figure everything out right now. That's also yeah. an adult attitude. I mean, I I I can I can I'll do that next year. Sure. Let me ask you this. Do you feel like the church is shifting at all towards this? Uh, when I think of like the For the Strength of Youth, the the latest pamphlet, the revision of the pamphlet, there certainly seems to be a little bit more of like, what do you think and how do you feel and what will this shift and transition for you as opposed to two feet on the floor and don't make out this way and don't date till you're 16. I mean, it certainly seems like, I mean, maybe glacially slow, but it does seem maybe like we're moving in this area oh yes and i think there's i think there i think there's probably more than i know about going on mm-hmm. but um i think that's i think the concept is there and it's you know, lots of questions about how quickly it gets into the wards and mm-hmm. stakes and local i mean i've heard 
I've heard, for example, use it for the strength of the youth, the new, the new version. I've heard wonderful stories about stake level and ward level discussions that are, hey, this really means think about it. And this really means we don't have, we have some judgment and some consideration of alternatives in mind. But I've also heard other discussions that mean that about other discussions in other wards where the, the, um, the answer is, okay, you, you're, yes, this is talking about judgment, this is talking about decision-making, this is talking about thinking about alternatives. But the right answer, after you do all of that, is what's in the old one. <laughs> uh, that's, and so we Funny, already know it? where that thinking is supposed to end up. Yeah. Yeah. The the other thing that I wanted to push back a little bit on uh, with what you said is that, you know, the sort of acceptance that things aren't going to change. Now, I, I find it maybe ironic isn't the exact word, but I mean, as the grandchild of Spencer W. Kimball, maybe one of the largest changes within the church, some would argue at least a little bit that it was agitators within the church saying, come on, blacks in the priesthood, let's do this. But not only that point, you know, you also talk about in the early uh, teens of the 20, uh, 21st century with like Kate Kelly and the, and the uh, you know, women being able to have more rights within the church because of her push towards ordained women, or even as recent as just a couple of years ago with Sam Young and the, you know, being able to have parents or other individuals in with bishops interviews and and kind of protecting our children people would point to those and say man if those people would have given up maybe those changes would have never occurred oh i clearly change happens and you're right that i would be the last to suggest that it doesn't um and uh, and the pushing for change is one of the, what I consider one of the real legitimate reasons to stay in, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, to, to participate. And I think it's, I think it's a common belief. I, I mean, I don't know that it's true or not, but it's common belief that working for change from within is more effective than being an completely outsider, um, lobbying, um, uh, even though people who campaign for change from within sometimes get kicked out. Sure. Uh, as, uh, as several of your examples would, yeah. would, would, would illustrate. However, um, and, and, and so, yes, there's change. And yes, it's, it's a perfectly valid and legitimate reason to be participating and even agitating. Although I know we get church leaders saying, don't agitate, and that's a bad way to participate. Um, sure. for, for my audience, yeah, shrug, shrug that off. But um but I'm for this for but I'm talking about the individual. Okay. But I'm talking about the individual case living, trying to live within. And there I believe, and I but this is more my attitude. And so I don't try to preach this to everybody, but I actually do think that if you put on the obligation, if you put on, you know, if this would only change, then it would be okay, or then I would be satisfied, you're gonna be frustrated. Yeah. You're going to be, uh, and and so for my own self survival, if you will, I put on the mantle, I put on the 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 overlay that yes, I'll talk about what I'd like to see. I'd, I'll talk about how we could do things better, but I don't expect it. I mean, yeah. I don't expect this to happen in my lifetime. I, I mean, my my first experience actually was with a uh, a man whom I love. I mean, he's gone now, but I, I served with him as he was a bishop. I served with him as a counselor. Um, he sat in the back row for, I think, 20 years, um, refusing to participate in a full sense because uh, blacks were not, black men were not introduced to the priesthood. Black women were not allowed into the temple. I mean, mm -hmm. because of that, he refused to participate in a full sense and sat on the back row. I mean, eventually that changed, but he was, that was years and years of, of kind of um, passive resistance, if you will. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so I look at him, I mean, I, I served with him years later after 78, but um, I, I know his history and I know that that was like, 
two decades of of passive resistance. And, th and that's a kind of time frame that you have to think about when you're interested in change in the church. That's well, and, and it's certainly with the with the, uh, you know, onboarding of this conversation, I think the perspective is as far as this goes, where you were facing down death. I think that this molds into part of this conversation uh, and, and the way that maybe this has been formed and the way that you look at it. I love the second point that you make, and this sort of just piggybacks on what we were just talking about, which is break the binaries. What does that mean? Um, it, it's a quick phrase, of course, but the but the idea of binaries, I think, is a killer. That is, um, people will say you're in or you're out. They will talk about the church as true or false. I mm -hmm. mean, in fact, we have we have uh, presidents of the church making sentences like that. And while I could have a whole philosophical discussion about. <laughs> binaries and whether that's true or whether that's a good way. I, what I, I'm very pragmatic here. I'm, mm -hmm. I think that, that for a person with questions, with doubts, with edge-like considerations in their life, who's also interested in engaging with the church and being not completely gone or completely out, um, the binaries of in or out uh, or true or false force people into decisions that they they don't like i mean you get all in or you're gone that's a that's that's a binary and what i find in people's real life and what i talk about in the book is options middle grounds mm -hmm. um i mean that does end up with some criticism i mean you hear you hear lukewarm and mm -hmm. View out of the mouth, and, yes. and I, it's 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 such an easy one-liner. But that really is for people talking about survival, talking about a long-term life on the inside of the edge. That looks like lots of middle grounds, like people talking about um, the church is a good place to be, which is not a true statement. It's not a false statement. It's not. It's a. It's. I mean, good. It is useful. It is valuable for me right now. Um, those are, you know, I just I just threw out three phrases that are not mm -hmm. true or false. And that's that's you know, those are examples of of breaking the binaries. And 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 every time you come to a binary for people who survive, I think we find we find middle grounds, we find middle ways, we find um, other ways to talk about or to think about what we're trying to do. Do you think that the uh, the push towards binaries are more intrinsic or extrinsic? Is it the culture telling us that we need to be in, out, good, bad, this, or is it within us because we've grown up in the culture that we go, I have to make a decision. I either you know need to determine what I am, or is it a little bit of both? I think it's both. I think I think on the one hand, it's rhetorically easy. I mean, if you're going to write a talk, if you're going to give a, a sermon. Um, in or out is the easy way to do it. And, and any kind of nuance is more difficult. Um, and any kind of nuance is, is any kind of middle way, any kind of alternatives are talking to adults, right? They're, um, you're gonna, when, you, when, you talk to, when you talk to teenagers, it's very common to push uh, one way. This mm -hmm. is what you should do. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it, and so rhetorically, I think we, we, uh, by the very fact that we're talking most of the time at a at a teenage level, we we bring ourselves into we 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 use the rhetoric of of binaries in or out, um, march forward. But uh, but I think it's also um, I think we do it to ourselves. That is, um, people want. This will take us to point number three, right? But mm -hmm. uh, people want certainty. People want, I think it's just a human nature to want sure. to want the sure thing, want the certainty, want the black and white. I mean, it's, uh, you could say it's, you could say it's lazy thinking, but I think it's a natural desire that I, I want the answer. I want, and, and um, nuance, middle ways, alternatives are more work. They're, and, and I mean, that, that is the way adults operate in the world is, sure. you know, second best solutions, um, mixed motives, 
uh, complicated messages. That's that's real life, but that's much more work than, uh, you know, just tell me which way to march and I'll keep yeah, going. I'll march it. You just tell me. Listen, I, I'm, I'm on. Is it, oh, is this way? I'll go that way. Perfect. Just tell me. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back in the third block, we'll get to those points three and four to tease up point number three. It's quit the magical thinking. So we'll come back and we'll start there in the third block of the cultural hall. Bookofmormonsecrets.com, or you can find them on Instagram at Book of Mormon Secrets. This is the opportunity for you to not only be able to see uh, Russ Brunson be able to go through like all the cool things with the first edition hymnal of the church or uh, the first edition book of commandments. This is also an opportunity for you to be able to go and see these books in Idaho or be able to win a replica. You need to go right now to bookofmormonsecrets.com or you can follow them at Book of Mormon Secrets on Instagram. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, take a moment and leave us a review, especially if you are an Apple podcast listener. We love being able to read those reviews. We share those uh, positive or negative on the show when we receive them. We would love for you to do it. I would also say that if you have something negative to say, just keep it to yourself. I don't need that. I don't need that hate. I don't need that. You can keep it to yourself or tell people in your ward that you hate this show. You don't need to tell me. But if you do tell me, I will share it with other people and try and find out who you are and likely bully you in a social space. So just nice comments. Let's just keep the nice comments coming. I may have been partially joking as far as the bullying goes. Uh, Christian, let me ask you as we get to number three, quit the magical thinking. I love the idea of magical thinking. It it conjures up in my mind several ideas as to what that means. But what what say you? What is magical thinking? It's a, I'm I'm interested in what it conjures up for you because it's it's been a it's been an interesting title and a and one liner. Um, I find that it's. Uh, that people come to that chapter heading and that <laughs> concept almost with an instinctive, I don't agree with him to begin with. I, he's good at, he's going to go down a rabbit hole that I don't like. And mm -hmm. then, but then I find that after, after they get it, after they've read the whole chapter, after it sort of clicks in their mind, it's a really useful uh, memory jog. It's it, 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 people come back and say, yeah, that's that. I get it. I get it magical thinking. Um, the reason it's kind of deceptive is that people come to it thinking, oh, we're going to talk about prayer and miracles and mm -hmm. spiritual feelings. And, and, and he's going to say, ah, that's all bunk and that's not real life. And, and he's going to diss on, on, on a spiritual life. And that's not what I mean, but that's, kind of gets people agitated as they come into this. Sure. Thought. They, they just they, hear they, it and they sort of bristle and go, oh, hang on. Okay. Okay. Go forward. But, let's, but, let's do but this. Then, but then what I, I, I spend, you know, I spend quite a lot of time trying to explain, and I do this in three or four different metaphors and three or four different examples, that what, what we're talking about is is certainty the magical the magic is the sure thing the magic is that every time the magician reaches into the hat the rabbit comes out mm -hmm. it's still a surprise it's still kind of exciting but it happens every time and if the magician is good so the magical thinking is it's going to happen every time um it's an it's uh to put it back in church or religious terms it is um, an answer to prayer that you get. I mean, it's like if I do X, Y, and Z according to you know, this section of the Doctrine and Covenants, I will I will do X, Y, and Z, and then I'll get an answer. 
Mm-hmm. So the the most um, my my kind of powerful experience uh, with this problem or this topic was with with a couple coming to me when I was a bishop, saying we're thinking about getting married, and he prayed about it, and his answer was yes, we should get married, mm-hmm. and I prayed about it, and my answer was no, we should not get married. Oh. How can this happen? I mean, this is this is this is sort of this is breaking our you know the whole model of how prayer works, how answers to prayer, how spiritual things work. That 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 conflict, and it and it. I mean, that's real life. And I've had other yes. bishops tell me, "Yeah, this is this happens. This is I've spent hours and hours counseling people in this kind of situation, and it's. I mean, that's real life." But it breaks the model that people have about how prayer works, how spiritual things work, how miracles work when when that conflict happens. But that's real. And so the break the magical thinking, stop the magical thinking is um, stop expecting the sure thing. I mean, that sure thing is when and, 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 and really to extend to the to the end of the thought, the thought is. First of all, that sure thing isn't there anyway. Sure. I mean, but now we're talking. Now we're talking theology. Right. Um, but but it, the pragmatic point is, if you believe in the sure thing, if you des- if you build your life around the sure thing, over and over, those of us who have been through it for a few more years than you have, mm-hmm. um, find that it breaks. That sure. the sure thing doesn't happen. And if you've built your life around that. It's devastating when it breaks. And a lot of people end up quitting on religion, quitting on God, quitting on the church, whatever the church is, mm-hmm. when when that break happens, when they were counting on the sure thing and something happened. I mean, they gave yeah, but- a blessing and the man died. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was that um, it's it's so devastating to count on the sure thing and not get it that I I. I want to spend a lot of time telling people, don't go there. Try to try to get or or if you've gone there, which is really that's actually the hard point is we got that in primary. We got that in junior Sunday school. We got mm-hmm. fed that sure thing because it's an easy way to talk and because we want it and we think that way. We got fed it. So we almost all of us have it somewhere in our minds. Sure. And and. So it, we may not be able actually to get rid of it. We may only be able to be aware that it's there. Well, and and to to speak to that, I mean, a, a moment of vulnerability. So in my first marriage, I can distinctly remember praying about it and feeling the spiritual gifts and confirmation that, you know, that that was the person that I was supposed to marry. That, you know, I, I felt that. I was like, this is, as any indication of other times that I have felt the Holy Ghost confirming the choice of the thing that I'm supposed to do, that is this moment, and I got married. And it was horrible. It was the worst experience ever. Ended in divorce, was not a great experience, went on for way too long, allowed myself to be in situations that I should not have been in as far as like being treated as an individual. Came out on the other side and went, hey, hey, God, where were you on this one? What were we doing here? Why? I felt the things. And then, you know, it causes you to do two things. One, which I admittedly initially was where it's like, yeah, OK, pal, we're going to take a break. Me and you, let's we we obviously, you know, we aren't communicating the way we wanted or the way that I wanted or expected that it should be. So there was sort of that break for a minute. And then two, it causes you to go, OK. Well, let's say let let me give God some leeway. There was a reason for this, and then I started to, you know, try and search for all the reasons that maybe okay, maybe the end of the line wasn't wasn't that the marriage was going to be an eternal marriage and last for forever. Maybe there were things that I needed to learn within it. And if you can't find those mileposts of why that was supposed to occur, it also becomes frustrating. And being able to go, okay, what what? So what's the point? And I can see why people. You know, given my experience or others would just be like, nah, forget it. It's not there. It's not real. It's not or or I lied or I missed it or I, uh, you know, there's there's some sort of disconnection for me. I'm out. Yeah. And and I, you know, and then and then I would circle back. And if I were if I were getting to counsel you in that situation, uh-huh. I would say, um, 
look, that spiritual feeling, that confirmation from the Holy Ghost, that's one piece of information. That's not, if you, if you don't take it as a sure thing, don't take it as this is now determining my life, take it as an important piece of information. But you've also got 16 other pieces of information. And mm -hmm. you as an adult thinker using logic, using everything you've ever learned, I take all of that into account. You still might make a mistake. You still sure. might end in a marriage that doesn't make sense. But but if you take that spiritual confirmation as the be all and all, as the as the you know, summum bonum, as as making all your decisions for you, you end up in these kinds of situations where it doesn't work. And now your whole faith is destroyed. Now your relationship with God, your whole feeling is gone. If you treat it as um as important information that you know now that to me that's an adult way to deal with life and to deal with god and and um that's uh so i'll take it all the way back to grow up right i mean mm -hmm. all of these things can be connected together you you know the binary thinking is it's either the right thing or the wrong thing to do that I mean, instead of maybe this is a good thing or maybe this is a good experience for the next few years or maybe it's not but the um Magical thinking is there's one answer. There's a sure thing. If you break that up and you say this is this is information for me to work with, that's that's now I'm a thinking human being. I'm uh, I'm I'm participating in the process instead of taking orders. I'm I, I'm deal I'm even dealing with God as an adult rather than as a child. <laughs> I, I'm going to speak something into this that I think is probably pretty pretty inflammatory, but I would like to speak it into it. I think that this is where the gift, air quotes for those that can't see the video, uh, of the perspective of cancer for you allows you to be able to, to see this from a different perspective. You didn't do anything that earned you cancer. There wasn't any sort of, you know, life decision that you did or didn't do. It wasn't a thing. It just was. And I think that things like that they're horrible. I want to be very clear that I'm not saying, oh man, you're so lucky you got the gift of this particular thing. But it is a perspective change that I don't think that that maybe some of these other things where we get to choose force that perspective. Uh, that's fair. And I don't I don't think I don't take any kind of I think that's a, I think that's good perspective, but I would broaden it. I mean, I go down the line of theodicy and you try to figure out what's God have in mind for me? What is, you know, does everything have a purpose and does everything have a line? And, and one of the places that breaks for a lot of people, that the idea that everything has a purpose, that everything has a reason, it's all for the benefit in the long run, mm -hmm. where, you know, one of the answers to that is it's how you deal with it as opposed to what happened to you. Sure. But, and now we're down into a different conversation. But I think that one of the places it breaks up is is cancer, it's earthquakes. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm thinking of Turkey right now. Sure. Um, it is um, it is natural disaster where you could still, some people will still rationalize all that as God is doing that for my own ultimate benefit. But for a lot of us, those kinds of things do break the model of it's all for a purpose. And we move to the... The world's a complicated, difficult, messy place, and it's more of a chaos than it is ordered and principled. And I, I think, in effect, you could describe my whole attitude and all of what I'm portraying in this book as, as um, an adult dealing with decision-making and responses to chaos and uncertainty I mean, we, in Paul's words, we live through, you know, through the glass darkly. Uh, mm -hmm. We don't, we don't have the answers. We don't have the certainty. Life is messy and complicated. And, and that's real. And a, and a religious message that says, I have the answer. It's black and white. Um, at the end of the day, you will have a reward. That's, that's a tough place to live. And I guess in a very pragmatic way, I think if you have, grown up with those attitudes, they're going to break sometime. Sure. I mean, there's going to come a point when it just doesn't work anymore. Yeah. And what you do with it, I think, is then maybe the more important, the, the choice of, of what happens at that point.
not if, but when and how you make your way through it. You know, as we get to the fourth point here and, and dawning towards the end of our conversation, you say develop a wisdom practice. And I think we've sort of talked in and through this a little bit, but give me an idea of what a wisdom practice is. We have talked around it because I because a wisdom practice to me, I mean, there are lots of ways to describe it. And maybe that's a whole next book. <laughs> in fact, it's 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 kind of now where do we go from here? If we've right. gotten survival, where do we go from there? And that's that's what wisdom practice, that's how I mean it. That's you know, how where do we go from here once we've worked out survival? Um, but a wisdom practice to me is 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 um, like I was describing just a minute ago, taking that answer to prayer as an input, as information, as opposed to a declaration, uh, an, an order, taking it as information. It is saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the best literature of, of the world. I'm going to think about geology. I'm going to take what science is telling me about what doesn't happen or what doesn't work. And I'm going to take all of that and think about it. I'm going to understand that we don't have sure answers, that we ha- that that life is complicated, that people have mixed motives, that the man across the table from me doesn't really know the answer either. And so our conversation is two people who have who are living in the midst of uncertainty and complexity. And we're just, you know, we're working together to, to move along in this journey. Um, that's that doesn't sound wonderful and enlightening but that to me is a wisdom practice that's that's um you know wisdom wisdom is not having a sure answer wisdom is working the best we can with what we have yeah and so much harder than just tell me what to do and I'll do the thing. Yeah. You know, uh, the name of the book is Living on the Inside of the Edge. Uh, people can get it. There will be a link in the show notes where people can just click and purchase, make it nice and easy for you. It's a survival guide written by Christian Kimball, who's been my guest in this episode of the Culture Hall. Christian, there are three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the Cultural Hall, and I will ask those of you right now. The first is, is do you have a calling right now? And if so, what is it? I don't think I have an official calling right now. Um, I am, I consider myself in the current lingo, a minister mm-hmm. with a, with one other man in our ward. Uh, but we joke with each other that we are the two people that the elders quorum president doesn't know what to do with. And so, <laughs> so he sends us off, you go hang out, go hang out, you talk with each other. Cause, <laughs> um, and I don't remember whether that's written down somewhere to make it an assignment. I do actually, I'll go back to the book and say, I think for people like me who live on the inside of the edge, most of us find our own way. Most of us find what what other churches would call a vocation. We find what we feel is important to do mm-hmm. um, or that we are called to do, called in a, in a vocational sense, in a, this is my sense of what's important um, as opposed to calling. I happen to be between... Um, I hope it's between. I hope there's a next time between mm-hmm. teaching gospel doctrine or uh, and and um, I'm actually feel like I'm practicing up by working with the dialogue Sunday programs that that we put put on for the since COVID basically. Um, but from time to time, I get called as a gospel doctrine teacher, and and when I do, I'm teaching a class that has d- kind of open ended discussion. Sure, and and then. And then from time to time, people will come along and say, we can't have that. We have to have a by the book lesson. And and then I get released and I'm in, I'm in the released mode at the moment. Yeah. The ebb and flow of, uh, of church instruction, I have found to be curious over the years I'll have, you know, I had in, in one particular ward for a short time, uh, a man who had studied, um, Buddhism. And had started to incorporate a lot of like the Buddhist practices within his Sunday school structure and people really were sort of drawn to it. And then uh, some people went, ah, this is, <laughs> this is different. And then we stopped it. And then it was a very rudimentary, like into the books and this is what we're doing. And then there was the time where that sort of was spent and then it moved to another kind of open-ended let's let's get into this discussion so the ebb and flow i i find to be fascinating i'm currently in the rigid structure of this is how we've done it this is how we'll do it we will forever do it as far as my sunday school 
um, not teaching, but observing and, and uh, engaging. If you could pick we're, a calling. We're actually, oh, go ahead. We actually moved back and forth. We live in Utah now. Um, and in our Utah ward, our the current Sunday school president is more of the by the book mm-hmm. kind of guy. I mean, he's a very thoughtful, good guy, but he's but that's what he wants for Sunday school class. And mm-hmm. and our current bishop is is a delegator. He says if that's what the Sunday school president wants, that's what we're doing. Yep. Um, as opposed to some bishops who will micromanage and say, no, this is what I want. Yeah. Um, and but we spend a fair amount of time in Washington D.C. where both of our sons and their families live. And so we're there because of them, but there is a ward in Washington, DC that we attend regularly when we're there. And there I'm asked to teach Sunday school and, and, uh, and, and we have much more, the kind of lessons I would, you know, the kind of discussions I would have. It's not like the church is all in one mode. It's sure. It's very, it's hyper-local in, in my experience. Yeah. If you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? Um, actually, honestly, writing this book, I mean, I felt like that was a calling. That was my job. That's not my job for life, mm-hmm. but um, writing this book and right now talking about it feels like the thing, um, you know, I'll use religious language, the thing God wants me to do right now. Sure. Um, well, and the... Re- and the response and I, I to this, the response to this book has been incredibly validating. As far as if you feel like uh, you know people talking about it, the the outreach to you, the even just the straight purchasing of the book would would certainly indicate that there is a resonance with this particular topic at this particular time, and that you were to be the one to kind of to to do that. I'll put that on you. I'll put that all on you. Yeah, and it, it, it is. Even though I don't want to, you know make myself out to be a, a a good guy actually there are ways in which i'm unusually not uniquely but unusually situated to be to do this work right now mm-hmm. in terms of my life history and age and position in the church and all um so i think there's some argument in that in that way it i will relate though that sitting in a in an elders quorum meeting one day in my Utah ward, uh, we had a discussion, which I thought was wonderful, going around the room of what do you have that you can provide for the community? You know, do you have a snowblower? Do you have, you know, a roofing ladder? I mean, do you have uh, some particular knowledge that's useful that you could that you could deliver? And um, we got to the, we got to me finally. I was very late in the in the circle, and I thought. I've been a tax lawyer all my life. I'm not going to talk about preparing tax returns. So, so what I offered up was that, and I think it's true. I seem to be able to talk with people who have left the church without it being an antagonizing, with it being an understanding kind of mutual understanding kind of conversation and instead of being antagonistic and people turned around and said, Hey, I haven't been able to talk with my brother in five years. Hmm. Tell me, tell me more. Yeah, that turned out to be an, an appreciated you know, contribution, which I think that was a telling incident. Yeah, I appreciate that. The final question that we ask everyone, we ask you to interpret it however you would like. But the the question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith? Um, an experience. Let's see if I can do this without tearing up. An experience actually that happened in the Provo Temple back when I was not yet married, but was engaged to someone I never did marry, but was thinking about it. And and I wanted an answer. I wanted a, should I do this or not? And the answer was, here's some things you should think about. Now you figure it out. Hmm. That's been so important to me for now more than 40 years. I love it. I appreciate that you'd be willing to to share that with us. And uh, the name of the book, like I've said, Living on the Inside of the Edge, there's a link to purchase that in the show notes. Is there an audio version of the book available? Any day now. Okay. It's actually, it's actually been submitted to Amazon Audible, but they uh-huh. take forever. They take up to a week or more, 10 days to validate or whatever they do with the audio files, but it's in, it's there. And I'm just waiting for them to release it. it but it's in 
it's in that mechanical system of of whatever Audible does. And is it you reading it, or did you have someone no, read it? Um, James Jones, who is one of the authors, uh, one of the essays in the book, but um, uh, he's a black man in theology, in, in studying, um, and he's got a wonderful voice. I mean, he's 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 a, he's actually a professional voice as well as now a now a doctrinal doctrine. Uh, it, yes. Anyway, um, he, so he reads it, and it he's re he reads it. Yes, and it'll be available any day now. And uh, interesting enough, uh, James Jones, episode number 565 of the Culture Hall, so people can go and hear a little bit about his story. He is the host of, or was at the time that he was on the Cultural Hall with us, the host of a uh, podcast, uh, Beyond the Block. He was a co-host of it, and uh, people can hear his story just go to theculturalhall.com or you can search in Google for episode 565. Uh, Christian, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you will be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Chris at Alpine Lakes Travel, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, and Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast. We will be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat on the back.